happy Redefining Freedom Sunday. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to a new episode of the newly renamed Redefining Freedom podcast, formerly the One America podcast, and uh, we talk about all things freedom. Today, we have a really good guest, Daniela Pierre Brava. She is a really amazing young woman. You've seen her on Morning Joe. You've seen her on MSNBC. She's a reporter specifically for Morning Joe. She's a contributor to Know Your Value and MSNBC. She's an author, a best-selling author. But Daniela is a DACA recipient. She has a great story about coming to this country and uh, being in Ohio with her family and how she began her journey to television and entertainment to being an author and a speaker and a reporter on national television. And I thought it would be really important to hear from somebody that comes from a place where freedom's not something that's common for everybody. Freedom doesn't allow you to do as you want, think as you want, uh, pursue what you want. That's what America offers. And I wanted you to hear it from her about her journey, uh, how she defines freedom, Uh, her hopes for America in the future, her hopes for the work she's doing around women of color and marginalized groups of people in this country. And uh, you're going to like this conversation. So get ready, get your Sunday beverage, whatever you're drinking, and let's talk about it. Happy Sunday. This is your host, Sophia Nelson. And if it's Sunday, we're talking about freedom on the Redefining Freedom podcast. Today's guest is someone special to me. She's not just a mentee, she's a mentor. She's a wonderful young woman. Daniela Pierre Bravo is someone that you've seen on television. She's a reporter for MSNBC's Morning Joe. She's also a contributor to Know Your Value, which is Mika Brzezinski's Vertical for Women, which is fabulous. And if you haven't checked it out, you need to do that. Uh, She is also the author of two books. Her newest book is titled The Other, How to Own Your Power at Work as a Woman of Color. And her first book, of course, was co-authored by her and her mentor, Mika Brzezinski, and it's entitled Grow Your Value. Daniela, how are you? Hey, good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that we finally got this done. And thank you for your patience with my insane schedule. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you in Georgia uh, this week. We're going to be speaking at a wonderful women's event, a corporate event. And uh, I'm really. Yeah, me too. I I love how our paths cross in so many different ways. Listen, um, I want our audience to know you a little bit, so I want to give you an opportunity beyond the bio to introduce yourself because um, as is important to you as a woman of color, as am I, you're a Latina, I'm an African-American woman, and I'm older, I'm old enough to be your mom, which is scary, but um, that's a good (laughs) thing, (laughs) and uh, it's good to have generational, I think, perspectives on important issues and one of the things I love, um, Danielle, are you are you considered a millennial? Or are you Y or Z? Where do you fall? I'm a millennial, which okay. is yep, millennial. Okay. It's getting really weird now because I'm I'm interviewing or I'm interviewing and, and learning more about Gen Z, which is, you know, you realize you're not the most talked about 
generation anymore. And, you know, <laughs> it really makes you uh, think twice about your age. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you got a long way to go, kiddo. As Mika would say, if she were on here with us, and we're going to have to do that at some point, she would say you got a long, long runway. runway. Yep, and that's right. uh, we're going to get to that too. But let's talk a little bit about your background. And you are um, someone who has a lived experience as a dreamer. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit because we're talking about freedom. And when I think of freedom, I think of dreams and I think of opportunity and I think of possibilities. Talk to us about your background. Give us a little bit of your story um, about how you came here and uh, got into working in television with Morning Joe, et cetera. So let them know who you are. It's a long, long story, but it starts in Santiago, Chile. I'm the oldest of five kids and you know my young parents wanted to bring us to this country to have a better life and to be able to experience more um, opportunities to create our own freedom and um, I wish I could say that you know we had the American dream right away um, but it took a really long time. Um, I came to a little tiny town called Lima, Ohio when I was about 11 years old I was the only Latina um, in my high school. Um, I didn't really know. We didn't have any other immigrant family friends. And so right away, I felt like the other. And, you know, I I made this, I guess, unwritten rule, which, um, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, people of color, first gen um, immigrants um, and immigrants themselves make, which is assimilation is the key to success. And Mm -hmm. so early on, I took that to heart. And I lost the accent. I pretended I liked country music. And I just tried my best to really fit in. And what happened is that, you know, I got great opportunities as I went along because I worked really hard and I worked my butt off. Um, I found out I was undocumented in high school. Uh, Despite that, I refused to um, not think that I could, you know, develop an education and have a chance. So I was kind of doing these things in vain. I was, you know, applying to college, getting through college, um, taking semesters off here and there without any government loans, any government scholarships, because I was undocumented. And um, by a miracle, I was about to graduate and, you know, I still couldn't do anything with my degree. And nobody, you know, was telling me, okay, well, if you finish school and you graduate, you're going to be able to get a job because I I couldn't do that. And nobody was like guiding me along the way. My parents were working two and three jobs and they they weren't, you know, I didn't have professional mentors. And so I, um, long story short, I, the summer before I graduated, um, I knew I needed to have that internship experience. And so I got on a bus, I lied about my resume and said that I lived in, in New York so that the hiring manager wouldn't make excuses for me. Um, I lived at, in Ohio at the time still. I got on a bus the day of our screening interview because they said, well, can you come in for an interview tomorrow? And I said, yes. I got on an 18-hour bus, nine stops through the night wow. and got to New York. And I was just so excited to be there. It was unpaid. I got three side jobs. And the wow. most amazing thing happened that summer, which was DACA came out. I had no idea it was um, it was, you know, in the works. I had no idea that there were almost a million people like me. Um, I carried so much shame, Sophia, and internalized bias because I really did feel like the only. I literally did not know that there were other undocumented people. So let's put um, a let's put a pin in that. Hold that a moment because you have said a lot in like 
a few minutes and I want to unpack it. So, so hold on to DACA because I want to talk about that. But I want those of you listening again, this podcast is all about freedom and how in the 21st century we are redefining what freedom means to different people, to the immigrant, to the marginalized person, to the person in rural America, to somebody who's a first generation that's ever gone to college, whatever it is. And I want to unpack those things because I think our stories are how we make America truly the light that it has been and that it will continue to be long after I'm gone and as this country moves forward. And she said something that that stuck with me. We said a few things, but the first thing you said was that assimilation is something that you felt you had to do in order to be accepted. And I think that's something I want to go back to as you get ready to unpack DACA. But what I love about what Daniela just shared with us folks is that she actually didn't just have a dream about wanting to make something of her life. She actually did something. She got on a bus, a bus now, a bus for 18 hours, nine stops through the night. Not only was that brave of you, it was very unsafe when I think about it, right? I'm thinking about this in a maternal kind of way of, oh my God, she got on a bus. But you got on this bus because you had an opportunity and you were like, I'm not going to miss this. And then you told me that you got three side jobs to support the unpaid opportunity that you were given. And then you're about to walk us through what happened with DACA. And I want to start there, but I wanted everyone to make sure you heard that because part of freedom and the beauty of being in a free country and a free society is that you can have a dream, you can get an opportunity and you can pursue it and you can make your own way and you can make your own opportunities by taking the risk or taking the leap. And I really love that you did that. And I didn't want that to be missed. So let's get into DACA and again, unpack for us what the Dreamers Act is and and how that impacted your life and helps you to get where you are now. Yeah. And I, I will say, um, just a note before I, I talk about DACA, I, I really don't think my story is unusual. I think it's a story of a lot of young people in this country who are working their butts off because they don't start from an equal playing field. And it's a lot of what I heard going around the country um, speaking to readers of my book. Um, but it's it's that sort of community that I, I, I found when I realized that there were other people like me, DACA recipients. So I still remember this day so clearly. I was um, at the time in my unpaid internship and uh, I was working for Diddy and Diddy's offices. And um, my, 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 one of my family members texted me and said, you know, turn on the TV right now. And I'm looking in the office. I'm in my cubicle and there's literally no TVs in sight. So I run out of the office. I go into this little deli and in the corner of the deli, it's this tiny TV and President Obama is delivering um, the address on executive action for uh, DACA recipients in the Rose Garden. And I literally can't explain. I mean, every time I talk about this story, I just, my body, I just have a somatic reaction to this because it's just imagine working so hard for something in vain. And in one split second, somebody making an, an executive action to actually change your life, right? It gave me an ID, an identity, an, a sense of belonging, um, and kind of helped me 
shed those layers of of shame that I had been carrying. So DACA is Danielle, um, stop for a second again. Uh, I'm going to do an Oprah. That's a, you know, let's unpack that. You keep bringing up the word shame. What's talk to me about why shame? Why would you feel shame when you're doing this extraordinary thing? When you're here, your family comes here, you work hard, you are pressing through, you're getting your education, you're getting on a bus to get jobs. Why, why, why shame? Well, you know, I grew up in a, in a tiny town that unfortunately wasn't very diverse. And so I think, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of, of, of people, um, you, women and men and who have grown up as the other. And, you know, I think it was Toni Morrison who said, you know, the other is just simply seeing yourself through the eyes of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so when you become so acquainted with um, or so used to seeing yourself through the eyes of somebody else, Anything about your identity that feels different or that causes dissonance, which I know that, you know, my immigrant background and being the only Latina and having parents who, you know, had funny um, last names and spoken funny accents and, you know, we're never there to watch the games. We're always working two and three jobs. We grew up without money. That right. caused a lot of dissonance um, and a, a lot of reactions and a lot of, you know, comments that were, you know, that were said to my face and were not said to my face. You know, I was mm -hmm. in the shadows for a long time. And so mm -hmm. for a long time, I felt like my identity, uh, you know, as an undocumented immigrant was, was dirty. And when there's no dialogue, which there was not, you of course internalize this sense of not just being different, because I think being different is, is amazing. And I think, you know, on a conscious level, I was really, I had a lot of pride about my immigrant roots, but there's a difference between what's in your conscious and what's in your subconscious and what you allow the narrative about yourself to be when you do experience those slights and that real, those real moments of consequences for being the other. Mm. Ah, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it I, I'm feeling a little bit hurt in my heart here because I get it living as the other as a black girl growing up in the time that I did when there were no black women who looked like me as mentors mm -hmm. or there were very few white women and there were definitely no Latinas that I saw in the legal profession as I was going through college and into law school or on the hill and so I get it on one level but I think what you're talking about is a much deeper level because there is the issue of being an immigrant like you said and not really being considered a part of so Let's get to DACA now. What happened on that day and, and, you know, move us forward. So President Obama delivered his address on executive action, which basically because Congress, you know, this has been something um, the Dreamers Act was something that, you know, started well before that date. I think it was in 2001. Um, it's been rejected over and over in Congress. There has been kind of a stalemate of mm -hmm. um, non-action um, on the legislative front. And this was sort of a last resort that that um, President Obama made in order to give us some sense of security from deportation. So there was at the time when um, DACA came out, there was almost about a million people who qualified for wow. that. Wow! And um, you know there were there there's certain there was very specific um, uh, criteria that you had to sort of. Um, 
had to uphold. Obviously, no criminal right. record. You had to be brought here uh, before a certain age with um, from your parents. Um, you had to have a certain le- degree of education. So it was very specific. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it allows us, it allowed us to have a work permit, which I think was completely life-changing. I could use a social security oh. card. I could literally come out of the shadows. So a part of it was sort of the, the tangible, practical part of literally having a document that, you know, um, basically says that you belong in this country. Yes. The other part of it is very symbolic to show that, you know, you're not somebody that is not supposed to be here, that you're doing something that, you know, um, is, is, you know, dirty or, or bad. I think a lot of, a lot of, for all my life, I, I tried to stay in the shadows because I felt, I felt like my identity was something that I had to hide because it was. Yeah, I mean, you've used, you've used two words again. I'll go back to first the shame word and now the shadows words. And, and folks, I want to, again, it's a, it's an aha and it's something that we need to really think about because as we go forward and as we look at what freedom means and as we look at what being an American means and being an American citizen means and how we treat people as they're on that path, as you were to citizenship um, and wanting a better life and, and achieving the American dream, I really hope and pray that your generation is effective at getting rid of anyone ever feeling like they have to live in the shadows <clears throat> and that they are other and that they have to feel shame. So thank you for, for really putting it into words like that because I think it's compelling, right? It's It makes us have to stop and think about what kind of system we're setting up and what kind of structure we're setting up to have people come and be a, a part of this great American experiment. Yeah. So go ahead, continue. And then uh, let's talk about what happened, you know, fast forward us to, you know, DACA and how you got to where you are now. So um, I will say you, you mentioned generations um, that coming up Gen Z. I you know I've, I've traveled a lot uh, around the country. We just had a, a voting um, series on Morning Joe on the Gen Z vote, and I they have very little tolerance, very little tolerance on inequities. And I mean, they're the most diverse generation that we've ever seen. Yep. And so I think they are as as they come up, and as you see um, them in positions of power and in Congress. You know, we just f- had the first Gen Z congressman that is, has been elected, like mm-hmm. these things are gonna be changing rapidly. I will mm-hmm. say before I, I talk about my story, DACA is limited, right? Yes. So it's, and, and we can talk about that, but it, it is not a permanent solution. Um, DACA recipients in this country right now are in total limbo. Um, we don't know if things could change right. and we, you know, DACA could be taken away. Is President Biden doing anything about that to strengthen it? Or is there anything that I would assume him being a Democrat and following Obama that he would want to strengthen here's it? The thing. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. DACA, again, was only meant to be temporary. Right. The only way it can be codified is by legislative action. Yep. And so when we hear things about, you know, the um, the president can strengthen DACA and all that, I mean, it's very limited on what they can do without the action of Congress. Sure. Because at the end of the day, it's still an executive action and it has its limitations. And so I, I do want to say that. I mean, 
and I, I think about, I've, I've written a lot about the model minority and, um, in my, in, in my writing for, you know, cause I, I write for different publications as well, but it's, it's been hard trying to understand how to move forward, how to move forward as a doc recipient in this country, because we've been at it for 10 years. And what happens every time doc is in the news, which is every year and a half or every year or every year and a half, because it's either been taken away or it's been threatened to taken away from us, or, you know, there's these promises of it going to Congress and getting executive action. Um, but what happens is that a lot of us end up writing op-eds and you, you'll see this on in the New York Times and the Washington Post, and we're explaining why we belong, right? Yep. We're constantly trying to prove to people that we belong in this country. But, you know, we've been doing everything that you know, citizens do in this country. We pay taxes, um, we contribute to our communities, but we're still constantly trying to prove that we belong. And that and that's exhausting. It's well let's talk about that and so that we can kind of move this forward into kind of my lightning round because I have some questions I want to ask you. I mean, I think that we can figure out that the upside of your story is that day changed your life because you were then able to feel like you could, like you said, be a part. You could get legalized documents that allowed you to be here to work, et cetera, et cetera, which then opened up doors for you to, you know, work at NBC, meet Mika, co-author, grow your value. You know, it looks like it just seemed like for the blessing of this moment was really good for you. But the downside is, is we still haven't figured it out for everybody else, right? Even for you, it's still precarious, right? Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah. And I mean, I do, I do want to say, you know, um, having somebody like Mika, the first book that we wrote was actually Earn It, um, which we- Oh, that's right. Earn It was before Grow Your Value. That's right. Yeah. And um, I mean, that was something that was completely sort of made a difference in my life because, you know, there are so many people who, who get in the door, you know, they, they put their head down, do the hard work, and then they- they come to a point in their career where they just stall. Yep. And, um, you know, Mika is a great example of somebody who is a sponsor, which um, quite frankly is, is what we need more of, which is people of power speaking in rooms of power about people who do not have access to that power. Yep. She's excellent at it. And she's not just a good mentor. And for those of you who listen around the world and, and I know we talk about this all the time in our women's uh, groups and organizations and clubs, et cetera, that being a mentor is one thing. That's me being a good listener, a good coach, a good guide, being there for a younger woman. But being a sponsor means I'm willing to use my power, my platform, my access to bring that young woman forward. And it certainly happened in my life. But in my day, my sponsors were white men because they were the ones that had the power. And my mm -hmm. mentors, if I go back and look at them now, are men who are in their 70s and 80s as I'm in my 50s. And so mm -hmm. you live in a different world than the one I live in and the one Mika grew up in. Mika and I are exactly the same age, born the same year. And uh, we talk about this, uh, you know, that intersectionality, that allyship. And so I'm really grateful that she didn't just talk it with you. She walked it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's made a big difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it completely opened up my possibilities to... Um, not just tell my story, but to make an impact on on other people who are going through the same 
thing. I think that was the, the thing that, that really I, I realized was powerful was that Mika is somebody that not just helps people along the way, but also identifies the, that the people that she is helping are also going to be paying it forward. Absolutely. Um, let, let, let's get to a few things as we wrap, because we're, you and I could talk for hours about this. And uh, again, I look forward to seeing you in Georgia uh, this week. But let me say this. Um, I want to get your thoughts again as someone of your generation, a millennial who is a DACA dreamer who comes to this country with a different set, I think, of an expectation of a hope, of a promise than those of us who grew up here, frankly, with the privilege of growing up here, who even if we had black skin um, and were born here, we didn't have to question whether or not we were legally here, so to speak, but we dealt with the other issue, right? So as women of color, uh, for all my women of color listening to this podcast today and this week, uh, we all know what it's like to be other. We all know that. And I want to talk a little bit about your book, this last book, Other, and have you just give us a few takeaways of what it is that you're sharing in that book and what is it that you want to, what is it that you're trying to tell folks that they need to really know? Yeah. Um, so the other is, is, a, is technically a career book, but it really is so much more than that. In fact, the first half of the book is really an introspective understanding of who we are and the ways in which we have fragmented our identity for safety, for inclusion, for belonging. And the whole point of the book is not just practical advice on career and, you know, how to ask for the raise and, and negotiate and advocate for yourself and delegate better and deal with burnout, but it's really about understanding what it is that you bring to the table and what it is that you've left behind, right? Um, what what parts of you, your identity that you fragmented that you know, has really been a disservice to you. And so I, be, I think one of the big overarching messages of the book is that, you know, our differences are not our liabilities. In mm -hmm. fact, our differences are our greatest strength and our Amen. superpower. And um, if you work for a corporation or a company or a startup in the United States where the client base is American, we need your voices, right? America yeah. is only becoming more and more diverse and it's not just about having a seat at the table, but it's using it. And this book shows you how. You, you said something earlier that caught my attention as we've watched the Tennessee three play out, uh, certainly the Tennessee two, the two young black men who were, they're certainly either millennials or Gen Y or Z, but they are, uh, they were reinstated after being wrongly. And in my opinion, it was very racist. What was done by the Tennessee legislature all mostly white men, Republicans of a certain age, of a certain mindset, and uh, they've been reinstated. But you talked about uh, how Gen Z in particular, I have two nieces that are in that uh, generation, and um, I've seen it with them all of their lives. But you're right, racially diverse, don't really see color in the way that I grew up with that are my parents or their grandparents and great grandparents grew up with it. And they have a very low tolerance. I know this being a college professor, um, on a college campus, it's a very unique experience. It's not like it was when I was in college or probably even when you were in college. Mm -hmm. And uh, this generation has a very low tolerance for, for anything that's perceived as anti-human, anti-race, anti-gender, et cetera, et cetera. Talk a little bit about that, uh, how you see this new generation, of which you're a part being a millennial for sure, but the way you guys look at the world and how that's going to impact how we see freedom, you know, in these decades to come, um, freedom of 
speech, freedom of reproduction, freedom of thought. You know, you guys see the world very differently. Yeah. I actually think that Gen C's Gen Z sees color way more acutely um, than generations past. And what I mean by that is they understand that a person that grew up black in this country does not have the same um, ability to have an equal playing field as a white person. And so they're very well aware of that. They're very well aware of the inequities that exist and the structural and infrastructural sort of um, uh structures and contexts that make up that inequality, which I think that my generation was not that great at. Um, and so I think that there's somebody who, who that generation is, is a generation that is disruptive in the best way. Um, I think a lot of the ways, the old ways of thinking that have gone sort of um, below the radar or the, the taboo things that are not, you know, make us uncomfortable to talk about, they're very poignant about talking about. And it's one of the generations, you know, in terms of, of voting, there's, it's, it's, it's the generation that even if they're Republicans, I've talked to a lot of Republicans that are, you know, Gen Z, they are w way more connected to sort of democratic ideals than generations before them. And what I mean by that is things like abortion. Um, there's there's a lot more of open-mindedness when it comes to this issue, for example, because it's not just, you know, the issue of abortion. It's about taking rights away that exist, um, you know. About freedom. Right. It's about right. freedom. It's about freedom. And so I think just, just disrupting the status quo is, is what I always think about when I think about Gen Z. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, um, again, I am as pro-life as you can get, you know, rape, incest, life of the mother exceptions. But, 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 and I say this, I've said it on television and it kind of leaves people speechless. I am pro-liberty first and pro-freedom first. And so what is good for Sophia Nelson or what Sophia Nelson decides to do is her right, her choice. I do not have the right to tell another woman what to do with her body or her yeah. thoughts or her life or her mind or whatever it is. And I'm a little taken aback, frankly, of being, again, a Gen Xer and someone in her 50s who's watched the Republican Party change into something I don't even recognize. I don't know what it is. And seeing this shift from you can be pro-life or you could be pro-choice and you can still have a place in this party and in our policy debates and in our tent and it's no longer that way and I feel like America's becoming that way too Daniela where we are very divided now in our tribes right whatever you're the straight tribe or the gay tribe or you're the black tribe or the white tribe or the you know the whatever one you're in and we really are really unkind to one another and very angry with one another do you do you see that too or is that just me getting old I don't know yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things going on right now in this country. And um, I think at the end of the day, it's people want to be heard and seen and understood. And I think that when you're pointing the finger in any situation, when you're pointing the finger at somebody and you're saying you're wrong, I'm right, it's going to kind of bubble up to these tensions that come to the surface. And that's where you see so many people that are so intolerant and angry and spiteful because nobody's seen eye to eye. And but I think people are desperately around this country trying to be heard, understood and validated. And it's not something that they're getting.
I agree. I'm going to give you the last word here. First, I want you to tell folks where they can follow you on social media and uh, get your books. Great. Well, I just want to say thank you so much again, Sophia, for, for um, inviting me on. I really do appreciate it. I'm a big fan of yours. Um, I, I love to connect uh, with people on Instagram. I know that makes me such a millennial. Um, <laughs> and I'm at, at D Pierre Bravo. And um, the other is, um, is available anywhere where books, books are sold. Um, Barnesandnoble.com, Amazon.com. Um, yeah. Okay, good. So last word for you, and then we'll wrap it. Define for me, what's freedom mean to someone like you who, again, with your amazing journey, your family's journey, uh, and what you've been able to accomplish in a very young, short life. Uh, I expect great things from you. I expect you to be the first Latina president. I'm not putting too much pressure on you, right? (laughs) Uh, But I, um, I expect great things from you in the future. But Define for me what freedom means to you and, you know, what is your hope for it as we, you know, move from this place of where we are now with all this division to hopefully a better place? I think freedom for me is being allowed to take up space and own our power just as we are. I think um, one of the things that I hear about a lot from readers of my book is this inability to take up space and power that is often um, kind of based on gatekeepers. Um, and I'm specifically talking about people at work, um, Mm -hmm. and in career because my book is career based, but I think, I think that is at the the center of freedom is just being allowed to, to take up space and power as we are. And I think about that sort of example in the same way, when I think about my life and what's to come with DACA. Um, and so, yeah, Freedom is a, is a big word. I mean, it's great that you have a podcast dedicated to examining it. But um, for me, it's about taking up space and power. You know, I'll let that just sit there because I think that's exactly what freedom is. And, you know, uh, today is Thomas Jefferson's what would have been his 280th birthday, I believe. There was a debate on Twitter whether it was 278 or 280. I saw Larry Sabato of UVA and some of the, the Virginia gurus here in the Commonwealth fighting over it. But Nevertheless, as we think of Jefferson and uh, his great words in the Declaration, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When we look at that definition, what you're saying is taking up space, being free, being able to be who you are. That's exactly what Jefferson was saying. They are rights given from God, not from man. And they are rights that are unalienable. They can't be taken away because they emanate from us just being human beings. So this was an amazing dialogue. We're going to have you back and again and again, because there are so many aspects to freedom. But I just wanted people to hear from you because, again, I feel like we don't hear enough from our Latino brothers and sisters. Um, We see gains, but not in the level of where we should be and what we should be talking about and how we should be talking about issues around immigration. And I want to have you back to talk specifically about uh, this country's debate on immigration at some point, because I think that that's a long, much longer conversation. Um, Yeah. But thank you and keep doing what you do. And I look forward to seeing you and spending time and for people hearing this podcast, Danielle. Yes. Thank you so much again and see you very soon. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye now.